I'm going to have you turn to Scripture with me today in the book of Romans, chapter 13. And as you turn there, that'll tie in with that, I want to wish a very happy 50th wedding anniversary to Lonnie and Shirley Evans, who on Thursday celebrated their 50th anniversary, and Shirley had no idea I was going to make that announcement. So save my life and give them a good hand if you can. Shirley, congratulations. And then Bill, see me at the end of the service. I want that $12, you promised. <laughs> and then a very special hello to Terry Harper. Terry Harper is over in Noblesville, Indiana. And all of you who are joining us by way of live stream or listening on WRFD 880 AM across the state of Ohio, it is our privilege as we've learned how many hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of families visit. But I've never had a greater honor than I had this morning Two ladies in a retirement home in Mount Vernon, Ohio, watch us every single week. Mary Shaw and Sue Haskins' sister, whose name I do not know. But Sue's sister has a cat, and they've been watching for over a year from this retirement home. And every time I preach, the cat sits right on the arm of the chair and stays right there till every word's finished. Honest to goodness, when you get to heaven, look at the film. If Pastor Scott is preaching, the cat leaves the room. So, uh, Scott isn't here today, but Scott, while you're struggling for Jesus down on that beach in Myrtle, put that in your pipe and smoke it. So, <laughs> all right, guys, Romans chapter 13. We're going to look at a very important portion of Scripture today. Dr. John, it's good to see you here this morning, brother. Thanks for being here. Uh, no matter what your politics may be, whether you're Democrat or Republican or Independent, by common consensus... I think one of the wittiest and funniest presidents that we ever had, and perhaps one of the most loved, was President Ronald Reagan. I loved his humor very, very much. He was the king of the zingers, the king of the one line. And here's some of his famous ones that he used to put out there. He said, it is true, hard work never killed anybody, but I figure, why take the chance? <laughs> that was good. He said, I'm not worried about the deficit. It's big enough to take care of itself. Another time he said, I've left orders to be awakened at any time in case of a national emergency, even if I'm in a cabinet meeting. That was good. And he said, politics is supposed to be the second oldest profession. I've come to realize that it bears a very close resemblance to the first. Another time he said, I've noticed that everyone who is for abortion has already been born. Would you praise the Lord for that? And, and then this was good. I never drink coffee at lunch. I find it keeps me awake in the afternoon. <laughs> but I saved these two last ones on purpose that we can share about our country, about the political system today. They relate. You'll relate to this regardless of your religion, your political favor, your creed, your income, anything. Number one, he said, government is like a baby. An elementary canal with a big appetite at one end and no sense of responsibility at the other. And then the other one, the nine most terrifying words in the English language are these, I'm from the government and I'm here to help you. <laughs> so the truth of the matter is, government is not a very popular word today in our vocabulary. One estimate says up to 66% of the population in America has almost an anti-government mindset, that we feel like the government could do better than it's doing for each of us. 
It seems there's one thing you can count on, though, and that is every single day, seven days a week, if you turn on your news, get your news feed, however you do it, you're going to read something or hear something or see something about the government. It may be an economic report, and we see those almost daily. It may be a report about foreign affairs. It may have to do with the national debt. It may be a new Supreme Court decision. It may have to do with congressional legislation or a presidential news conference. But every day, the government is in the news. And to put it mildly, the government's taking a beating. You can turn on CNN and get one perspective of how they're beating on the government. You can turn on another channel, Fox or somewhere, and get another perspective of how they're beating on the government. The government's getting it in every direction. And sometimes they've earned it. But sometimes... We're just finding someone to beat up on because there's some great things about our government. Is there at least one amen in the house? We live in the most wonderful place in America is our home, the land of the free, the home of the brave. And we need a governmental system for all of that to take place in a proper way. It's really a mixed bag. There are certain things about us, about our nation that we like about our government. And there are certain things that we don't like so much about things that are going on. And the question that we all have to answer, who have the Bible, is our supreme authority. Did you hear that? The question we all have to answer, those of us who have the Bible, is our supreme authority. You see, we don't see the Bible through the lens of the world. We see the world through the lens of the Bible. The Bible is our final authority. It is our roadmap. It is our guide. It is our compass. It is everything that we believe that we need to make every decision in life. Whether I live in capitalistic America or communist China, and I'm a child of God, the Bible is still my guideline. It is the one thing that is most important. And we see the Bible that way, and we hold Jesus Christ as our supreme Lord and Master. We want to know this. What does God say about the government? Not CNN, not Fox News, not even a local pastor. But what does the Word of God say about government? And in the times that we live, and the season that we're in right now, whether you are a, a, a millennial, whether you're part of the Y generation, whether you're a baby boomer, it is imperative as believers that we be aware of what's going on around us. And, and the question we have to answer, uh, who have the Bible in that point, is we look and see what does God say to us and how we should live in days like this. What does God say about how people should relate to the government and the government relate to people? Fortunately, we don't have to wander. Fortunately, we have in our laps the Word of God. 2,000 years ago, the Apostle Paul, while he was in, in Corinth writing to the Roman church how we should behave in light of the government. And I'm going to just give away a little bit. At one point, he's going to say you should submit to the government. This is the same Paul who said I would submit to Caesar. It was the same Caesar, Caesar Nero, who six years later, after Paul wrote that, would have Paul beheaded. And yet Paul said that it is proper that you submit to the government. Not always, but as we see in Scripture, the times that we should be involved. Excuse me. And please remember that when Paul is writing this, he's not just writing to the Jewish people, but he's writing to Jews and to Gentiles, which had one thing in common— None of them were fans of the Roman government. You see, there were a lot of advantages, if you remember your history, of being part of the Roman Empire. There was a universal peace for the most part because they had such power and control. No one defied them. There was peace most of the time. They were safe. They had a tremendous highway system. The Appian Way was just everyone talked about it from then even until today. 
Their economic ties were basically very, very good. Society was stable, but it was still an authoritarian government. This same Caesar that would later decapitate Paul was Caesar Nero. He was such a narcissist that one of the things that he would do, it's, it, many uh, historians theorize that it was Nero that burned Rome down. You remember the burning of Rome? They say that he was the one that probably did it, but he blamed it on the Christians when he was about to be exposed. He, he fancied himself as a chariot racer, and he would race chariots, though he was really not that good. And he wanted to race at night even, and he didn't have Thomas Edison to invent electricity 2,000 years ago. And he needed some light around the track, so he took Christians, people that named Jesus Christ, and dipped them in oil and lit them up as lights around the track for his chariots. He was no kind person to Christianity. In fact, what started out to be a good government in Rome ended up being uh, an autocratic form of government where he was the final say. Even to the point that they, the citizens of Rome had to worship him once a year by saying publicly, Caesar is Lord. And they would get a certificate proving that they were obedient and submissive citizens of the Roman Empire. And that's what caused so many Christians to be crucified because they could not say Caesar Kairos. They would say only Jesus is Lord. Only Jesus is our master. But it was an authoritarian government. And outside of the Roman government, if you didn't think that was good, liberty was very limited and justice was always swift in those villages and small countries, but not always just. And basically, Paul gives the words to Christians everywhere that should guide the way any Christian citizen, regardless of what country you live in on planet Earth, this is how you are to relate to the government. And the first theme in this section of Romans 13 is the relationship of the Christian to the state that they live in. And it outlines our responsibility to civil authority, which some people have great difficulty doing. The January 6th uprising, they were getting so much. Some citizens thought they were well within their rights. Other citizens thought that they had exceeded it. But here's the bottom line that I want you to know. No. Number one, I'm proud to be an American. I love being a citizen of the United States. But I'm not only an American. I happen to have dual citizenship. I have citizenship in this country. And I have citizenship in the king of kings and the king of glory in his home that we call heaven. And if, you're a, and if you're a child of God, you have that same citizenship, an earthly address and a heavenly address. I am in, Paul says, I am in Christ Jesus. Now, if you look on my paper, every one of you that are adult Americans, you have a paper to prove that you're an American citizen. It's your driver's license or it's your identification. It's stamped on an image in your wallet. But if you're a child of God, you also have an identification that's stamped on your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord of Lords in your life. And that citizenship will never expire. Glory to God, you don't have to renew it every four years and stand in line at the bureau of something. That it lasts for all of eternity. I thought I'd get one amen on that anyway. So, so we're residents of two realms. And because we are residents of two realms, I mean this very sincerely to you. We have to learn to live responsibly in both realms. We need to live the life that God would want us to live on this earth. And we need to live this life on this earth that is equitable and helpful for our country as much as, as, much as possible. 
Now, I know that we would all be happy if Jesus would just come back today. And I, I had a sign on the church once 30 years ago, uh, 35, 33 years ago. I said, in the event of rapture, you can have this church. Because I, I don't care. I don't want it anymore. I ain't going to need this house no longer. I ain't going to need this house no more. I ain't got time to paint the windows. I ain't got time to fix the door. You're right. The rapture's coming. But the truth of the matter, it ain't come yet. And the Lord has trusted us to be ambassadors, to be citizens, to be responsible while we're waiting for him. And even so, we're here, the Lord wants us to stay busy. Jesus prayed in his great high priestly prayer of John 17. He prayed for his disciples and he said this. This was a hard statement that Jesus prayed before he went to heaven. He said, Father, my prayer is that you would not take the disciples out of the world, but that you would keep them from the evil one. Another place Jesus says, I want you to occupy until I return. And our Lord never intended that we would live in caves or monasteries and just hide from the world that we live in and hide from responsibility. That's where the interface comes about. That is why I admire individuals that engage the political process that love the Lord Jesus Christ. Even if they're not elected, the fact that they're willing to put their foot out from local elections all the way to national elections, they want to make a difference. And so you always want to pray for people that can make a difference in a positive way, in a spiritual way, as they're running. And some of our struggles as believers is balancing the responsibility as believers with God and believers living in the state. And since we carry both passports, one in this world and one in the next, we need to discover what our obligations are. And as we look at this outline in the first seven verses of Romans 13, Paul gives an outline and a guide system for believers universally, and whether it was 2,000 years ago or today, the principles would be the same. And with the understanding up front that we are never as believers asked or mandated to obey a government or respect a government that asks us uh, to do anything that is ungodly or unbiblical. Always we put the worship of God before we do citizenship in a country. But in Romans chapter 13, here's what we're going to learn. Three basic principles. On the back of your worship guide, you'll get to write these down. You have a blank sheet. There are only three points. Suck it up, buttercup. And you can just write them down as we go along. The first principle that I want you to know, if you'll jot it down on the back of your worship guide, is that the government has an authority that's been given by God. Don't ever think that that government set itself up totally on its own. The system of governing is something that the Lord set up. If sometime, if you would just go read Ephesians chapter 5 and Ephesians chapter 6, it talks about submission. It says in chapter 5, verse 18, that we, uh, I'm sorry, verse 21, that, that we're to submit to one another. In the next verse, it says wives are to submit to their husbands. In the next verse, we don't hear it often, but it says husbands are to submit to their wives. And it's phrased this way, husbands, love your wives even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. That means give yourself up. You know, it's like the, the, the guy said, oh, honey, I, I love you so much I'd die for you. She said, oh, you always say that, but you'll never do it, you know. <laughs> and, and then you read down there a little farther, and it says children are to submit their parents. Employees are to submit to the masters. And so there's this process of mutual submission. And the government has an authority that's been given to them by God. Notice in verse 1 of Romans 13. Paul says, everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities. 
For there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, he who rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. Now remember, this is the guy that wrote this. It's going to be beheaded by the leader of that nation, that kingdom, very soon. Immediately, though, we're told that God has appointed the authorities who have governmental power. I want you to know, as hard as it is to swallow, that that's true of all governments everywhere. It's true of democracies and it's true of dictatorships. It's true of capitalistic uh, countries, and it's true of communistic societies. It's true where the bells of freedom ring loud and clear, and it's true where the bells of freedom are never allowed to ring at all. And as you read through the entire scripture, you'll find that sometimes God puts good people in power to be a blessing to others. You'll hear the words in the Old Testament like, good king Asa, or you'll hear some term about Josiah or David and his leadership. Sometimes God puts evil people in power to be a curse. I think that the realm that we put the Saddam Husseins and Adolf Hitlers and things that the guys that were like that. But if you ever forget that God's still in charge in the bad days as well as the good days, you'll take away from the sovereignty of Almighty God. And Paul's trying to clarify that in Scripture. There's one thing that all governments and all government rulers have in common, and that is that their authority is given to them by God and God alone. They'll remain in power as long as God allows it because the state is a divine institution. The state is a divine institution with divine authority. And I want to make sure that you understand what I've just said. I am not saying, Paul is not saying that Hitler or Stalin or Saddam Hussein or other tyrants of our time have been personally appointed by God and that God is responsible for their behavior and that their authority is never to be resisted. I'm not saying that. Paul is simply saying that no ruler has authority in and of himself. The structure of authority, of leading and submitting, of working together was instituted by God whether that leader recognizes it or not. Jesus gives us a great example of that just before he's crucified when he stands before Pilate in John's Gospel, chapter 19 and verse 11. Jesus answered, looking at Pilate, he said, You would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. Now, did Pilate misuse his authority to condemn Jesus Christ? Absolutely he did. But the authority that he did it with had been delegated to him by God. In other words, there are no Lone Ranger authorities out there. There are no rogue dictators out there who do what they want, when they want, where they want, that are are able to go against God's sovereign will. Every government in power today is there for one of two reasons. Either God put them there personally in place, or God allows that authority to be in place. And that doesn't mean that a government should always be obeyed and should not be resisted at times. If the government in the United States or whatever country you live in forbids or forbids what God commands, we have a duty as followers of Jesus Christ to resist that. Whether it's in this country or other countries, to disobey the government. When Peter and the other apostles were commanded by the civil and religious authorities to quit preaching the gospel. Do you remember in the book of Acts chapter 5 what it says? Notice on the screen. It says, Peter and the other apostles, they're replying to the authoritarians. Peter and the other apostles replied, 
we must obey God rather than men. And, and whenever the laws are enacted that clearly contradict God's law, God's civil disobedience is not just an option, it's absolutely a requirement. And I hope it never happens, but there may come a time in this country that we have to do that. A couple of years ago, the government, and probably with very good intent in the beginning, decided to shut down all the churches and all the schools and everything in the world for two weeks over the that word, COVID vaccine, the COVID uh, epidemic that happened in our nation. But after the two weeks, they had a power that they tried to take it far beyond that. And for the next 18 months to 20 months, they shut down everything in the world. And now the best studies in the world show that that was a useless option. That it didn't accomplish a thing by shutting everything down and keeping people away. It affected students. It affected profits. It affected companies. It affected our nation. And I remember the day we made the decision. We don't know what's going to happen, but we are not shutting down. And, and I, I want to thank you guys. I know it seems self-serving for you in this room. But thank you for not stopping. When we tried to accommodate the government and tried to do right and went out in the parking lot, through that episode, though, it's like Joseph said in Genesis chapter 50, you meant it for evil, God used it for good. Do you know that we averaged over 1,300 people in the parking lot, and at the end of the epidemic, we gained 200 families as fellowship members at Genoa Church through every bit of that. So I'm glad you didn't slow down. I'm glad you didn't stop, and we kept moving. I think about when Pharaoh ordered the midwives to kill the newborn Jewish boys. They refused to obey it, and as a result of that, Moses was able to grow up. When King Nebuchadnezzar commanded all the people would fall down and worship a god, do you remember the three boys in the fiery furnace, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? They said, we will not do it, and they worshiped God. Do you remember when King Darius made a decree for 30 days that everyone had to pray, but no one could pray to their God. They had to pray only to him. The first thing that Daniel did was to go to his room and throw up, open the windows and begin praying to God Almighty. And obviously that raises the question, how are we to know when we're to obey the government and how are we to know when we're to disobey the government? Well, the authority that governments have has been given to them by God, and that's the, that's the first point that I gave you. But that's balanced by the second thing I want you to write down, and that is the government has a responsibility to those being governed. The government has a responsibility to us. Notice in verse 3 what Paul said. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one who's in authority? Then do what is right, and he will commend you. For he is God's servant to do you good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. And I'm adding these words, be very afraid. For he does not bear the sword for nothing. He is God's servant, an agent of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. And the primary role of government is to do right for those who do right. Paul uses a phrase here three times to show us that the government not only has authority from God, but it has a ministry from God. And if a government operates properly, they see themselves as ministering. Notice in verse 4, we're told the government is God's servant. Later on, we're told about him, he is God's servant. In verse 6, notice what it says, the authorities are God's servant. That word, servant, literally means, in the authorized version, minister. That word minister is still used in the English language today to describe people who are in authority over us in government. 
in Great Britain, the most important office in that country is held by the prime minister. And in our nation, we refer to people who are elected to public office as public servants. To minister, to serve, to care. That's the ideal situation that he's talking about there. In a real sense, government authorities are ordained ministers. Specifically, we're told in verse 4, For he is God's servant to do you good. And the primary role of the government is to do the people good. It's not to enrich their pockets. It's not to get a political agenda going through. But it's to do good by the people, for the people, and to the people. Well, what's the good that government's supposed to do? In this very same passage, Paul says the three things that government should do for people. Number one, protect the people. Number two, punish the wrongdoers. And number three, promote justice. Incidentally, our founding fathers of our Constitution in America understood that principle very well. Do you remember how the preamble of the Constitution reads? It goes like this. I'm sorry, I don't have it up on the screen. But it says, we the people of the United States, in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the general defense, and promote the general welfare. Did you notice the three purposes in the Constitution just coincided perfectly with the three things that Paul listed in Romans chapter 13? The government is to promote justice, to punish evildoers, That's how we ensure domestic tranquility and to protect the people. That's why we have a general defense and promote the general welfare of a nation. And we're told in verse 3 that the government should reward the righteous. Notice what it says. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right, and he will commend you. And in verse 4, we're told that the government is to punish the wicked. For he is God's servant to do you good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword for nothing. He is God's servant, an agent of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. According to that passage, uh, the, the, the serving authorities are God's servant ministers that bear the sword. In Roman society, the sword represented ultimate authority that was there it signified death the the government had the primary responsibility as our government does to punish criminals inside the nation and to fight enemies outside of the nation that's why we have something called the rule of law listen to me brothers and sisters that's why we have court systems that's why we have police officers if i would live to be 100 years old i'll never understand the anti-police movement that somehow started in this country a few years ago. I hope it goes away if it hasn't. That's why we have jails. That's why we have death penalties. That's why we have the United States Army, the United States Air Force, United States Marines, and United States Coast Guard, and, and, and all the departments of the military. When an official state uses the sword to protect human life, he is inflicting God's wrath and punishment on the evildoer. And that's true whether it's a policeman defending your safety against a criminal or a soldier defending us against an enemy. And I don't have time to go into the specifics. But if every congressman and every senator, if every justice on the United States Supreme Court or state courts 
and if the president himself would remember that they are God's ordained ministers to promote what is right and stop what is right, wrong, every bit of legislation that could be passed could be passed at a higher level than we see today. And some of the things that should be considered in that when legislation is being passed is does this piece of legislation promote what is morally good? Does it protect the innocent? Does it promote true justice? Is it really in the best interest of the nation? Some of the deals that have happened in the last years are not in the best interest of our nation. There have been some backroom deals that have been made that have hurt us. And questions like, is it good for the family? We see our government going from the traditional family unit to being almost anti-family, anti-mom, anti-dad, anti-family in what we're seeing. And ask ourselves, does that expand the liberty that rightly belongs to the people? The reason why government has become a dirty word and, and there's so much negative cynicism toward our government could go back to what one of our early presidents said. James Madison said, in framing a government which is to be administered by men over men, the great difficulty lies in this. You must first enable the government to control the governed and in the next place oblige it to control itself. I like that statement. That that government must realize they're not authoritarian, but just to do enough to help our country be what it needs to be. The government's to put limits on people with their actions that could be wrong or promote wrong. But also the government should be limited to only those things that promote life and liberty and the pursuit of happiness. And anytime you see any elected official trying to do everything they can to minimize the size of government and the reach of government and the stretch of government in areas that they do not have any reason to be pushing in, pray long and hard before you write them off of your mindset. People that are really trying to make a change. Abraham Lincoln, Honest Abe, put it this way. The legitimate object of government is to do for a community of people whatever they need to have done, but cannot do so well for themselves in their separate individual capacities. But in all that people can individually do as well for themselves, government ought not to interfere. Government should leave that alone. And then the third thing that I want you to think about and write down is that the governed have an accountability owed to the government. We talked about what the government owes us. But we have a responsibility to the government as well. Oh, your amens are thrilling me right now. Look at verse 5 with me, if you would. It says, Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also because of conscience. This is also why you pay taxes. For the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give everyone what you owe him. If you owe taxes, pay your taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. And what Paul is saying is that we have a responsibility toward our government. And I'm going to be specific and tell you two things that every follower of Christ is obligated to do. You're obligated, number one, because of his holy law, of who we're supposed to be on this earth. But he also says that you're obligated because of your conscience, of who you want to be, and, and the, the clear conscience that you have. And you can't have a clear conscience with God if you're not doing those two things for your government and for the people who are over you. And the first thing that we're to do, he says, is to pay, plainly says in verse 6, this is why you pay your taxes. And I realize that, that taxes is a touchy subject. 
I have no idea why the Internal Revenue Service is trying to hire 86,000 people and, give them, and arm them with guns to collect taxes. Seems a little scary to me. Uh, but but uh, as we look at our responsibility to them, if we owe taxes, it means that we've been blessed to be able to earn money. I heard a story about a mugger came up, this very well-dressed congressman in Washington, D.C. one night late. He was going back to his suite, and the mugger put the gun in his ribs, and he says, give me your money. He said, I, sir, am a United States congressman. He said, I'm sorry, give me my money. <laughs> Either way, he was determined that he was going to get it. And nobody likes to pay taxes. But at the same time, we need to remember that we're not only obligated to support our government through our taxes, we're to pay taxes that we owe. And in reality, you're not giving your money just to the government, but you're giving your money as an act of obedience to God. The next time you write that check, say, Uncle Sam, I'm only doing this to be obedient to God. I want to do this for that reason. And the second thing we're to do that may be harder than writing that check is to pray for our government. When is the last time you prayed for the president of this country? I want to be very honest. I don't want to be hypocritical. I probably don't have a lot of respect for the things that have come out of the White House in the last months and years. But I have an obligation and you have an obligation to pray for the president of the United States, for the congressmen and the senators, for the Supreme Court justices, for the governors, for the magistrates, for the mayors, for the school board members, for the local police officers, fire responders, EMT workers, that we pray for them, that God would help them and protect them and give them wisdom. And it is not wrong for you to pray that God would put people in their lives that would give them better wisdom than we see coming from time to time. I don't think it's wrong for you to pray, God, would you block their ways when they're trying to take away from the great foundation that this, this, this nation was built upon. That, Lord, we could, again, bless, see America blessed in the future. But we pray for our government. You say, you sure that's in the scripture? Well, notice on the screen, friend. 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 1 says, I urge them, first of all, that requests, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for everyone. And it doesn't matter whether you voted for them or not. It doesn't matter whether they represent your political party or not. It doesn't matter whether you like their policies or not. It doesn't matter whether you want to see them reelected or not. You and I as followers of Jesus Christ have an obligation to pray for those in authority over us. And here's the rule, and I'll close with this. Here, here's the rule. A Christian is to be a good citizen until a, being a good citizen means being a bad Christian. We're to be all we can be for God under the rule and the direction until that changes. We could discuss all day long the idea of our relationship with the government, what's good about it, what's bad about it. But here's a bigger issue. We're talking about what should I render to Caesar. You know what Jesus said about it? Render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's. But what else did he say? Render unto God the things that are belong to God. So a coin may have the image of Caesar stamped on it. But if you're a Christian, stamped in your heart is the image of Jesus Christ. And that's the greater of the two. That's where your, your, your worship and your authority is going to go. And you're made in the image of God. God wants you. And, and you should surrender your life to him. That's what God wants. That's, that's where we begin. Is if you're here today and you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, trust me, you want to be a citizen of heaven. 
You want to have not only peace on this earth, but you need to diversify your investments. Tom, how does that sound? Diversify your investments, and the best investment you can ever make is an investment in your relationship with God that will last for all of eternity. And my honest and earnest and best prayer for you beyond being a good citizen, beyond you obeying the speed limit on the way home from church today, my big issue is that you would, re- that you would render to God what belongs to God. That spiritually, that your heart would be right. That spiritually, you would know that you've been born again. That's the greatest message of the church. Sometimes the government doesn't do what it's supposed to do, and the nation suffers. Sometimes the church doesn't do what it's supposed to do, and the nation suffers.